You're listening to the God Center Mom Podcast with me, Heather McFadden. As the mom of four young boys, I know motherhood's hard. But sometimes I think I make it harder than it needs to be by putting myself in the center of things or even my kids. I forget to place God there and be led by His Spirit. I also tend to forget that I'm surrounded by God. He goes before me, He walks with me on the hard days, and He comes behind me when I make a mistake. So each week I'll interview someone new and we'll discuss what it means to be a God-centered mom. Thanks for listening. Hey y'all, welcome to the God-Centered Mom Podcast. Today I am lucky enough to get to interview Lisa Jo Baker, author of the new book, Surprised by Motherhood. Um, Lisa Jo also writes online at a beautiful site with her name um, that we can put in the show notes. Um, and Lisa is just an amazing person and also an unbelievable writer. Um, she has quite a beautiful story that we are going to talk through today. So Lisa, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. So fun to hang out with you today, Heather. Well, this book, um, Surprised by Motherhood, should come with a little packet of tissues. Because... <laughs> chocolate cake, if I have anything to say about okay, it. Okay, a little piece of chocolate and a little tissue and maybe a bag of tea. Because I was surprised. Like, it would just hit me all of a sudden. I'd be reading and I would cry. Like, mm. and it wasn't in the moments, like, you have some sad parts to your story. It wasn't necessarily in those moments. It was in moments of reliving motherhood through your mm. words like mm-hmm. the delivery room or like seeing your child for the first time or those sweet moments with your husband leading up to it. I mean, the way that you weave words is really magical. I don't, I mean, amazing. I'm not just saying that to pat your back. I'm like literally like in awe of your ability. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even like look at it and be like, oh, she just did blah, 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 blah. And like break it down like an English major. I don't even know how you do it. It's Incredible. It's really, really good. Oh, that's very kind to say. Thank you. All those late nights of staying up um, way too late or getting up way too early. Thank you for that. <laughs> so you're, but you're past, you aren't an English major. Tell everyone, right. what were you actually, what was your degree in? Well, I was an English major undergrad. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was. So my okay. BA is in English language. Okay. Um, and then my, and then in graduate school, I actually went to law school. So I was an attorney by training. So writing is something I did spend a lot of time doing yeah. um, as part of my education. But I never imagined I would write for myself. You know, I always thought I would write legal briefs or development or grant programs or, you know, projects. Um, I, I honestly consider myself an accidental author. I did not grow up dreaming of writing a book. I, I really stayed clear of ever wanting to get a PhD or be a professor because I, my husband is one and I would tell him what a nightmare, you know, you have to write (laughs) books. Why would you want to do that? And now I'm a blogger who has to publish, you know, three times a week. So publisher parish is actually my life now. How did I let this happen to myself? That's (laughs) That is, that's really funny. And kind of intro into your story, because I think that gives a little bit of why your writing is, I think maybe genetic, maybe, maybe okay. uh, you maybe yeah, had a I, mom who had, you put a little blurb of her writing in your book and it's mm-hmm. really good. Like, did yeah, she write? She was. So she was also English and then she studied um, a lot of different languages. So she spoke and taught Latin and German and she could speak Dutch and English and just loved books. I mean, she loved stories. It's where we all got our love of stories from, from her. And I inherited all her books after she died. And they are my favorite treasures. 
um, to go through. So she was someone who had always loved a good story. She was someone who, after we saw a movie, would come home and want to dissect it with us and talk to us about it. I mean, after we saw the Back to the Future movies, she drew timelines to explain (laughs) the time travel, okay? (laughs) So we would understand better. So yes, she loved, loved, loved books. And I grew up with a passionate love for books. But I sort of thought, I don't know why growing up that books had to be serious with lots of footnotes and forgot that, of course, books aren't always that they're most of most of the most wonderful ones are just our stories that we share with other people and your story begins not in america right you said no. your mom speaks lots of languages can you tell everybody where'd you grow up so i am south african despite my confused accent um, <laughs> we're not not because we're missionaries i mean we are from there many generations of our family have lived there so both my of your parents. entire family Yeah, my whole family lived there still. So I'm an accidental transplant because of this really cute American boy that I met. (laughs) From Michigan. I love that. We have Michigan family. So I I like that. Michigan boy, go Lions. Yes, that's fun. That's fun. (laughs) So you grew up there and um, you kind of alluded to part of your story with your mom. You said that you got all of her books after she passed away. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us part of your story right before you met that. Michigan cute hunk Peter. Sure. Yeah, well, I was born my parents so it's so I guess it's worth mentioning that I was born actually while we, while we weren't missionaries, you know, while we lived in South Africa, my father after he got out of medical school wanted to serve and do some missions work. So in South Africa in the little homeland of Zululand is where he went to work at a small hospital that was a mission hospital there, mm-hmm. um, right out of medical school when my parents were first married. And that's where I was born, mm. into Zululand. So a lot of my my roots and my culture is really steeped in the, the lore and the tradition of the Zulu people. And um, so I grew up with a lot of those stories. And um, my parents moved around a lot, and they were in the States then for a while and back in South Africa. But my mom got sick and she had leukemia. We found out when I was 16 Mm. and she was in hospital from when I was 16 to when I was 18. And she died a week to the day after I turned 18. So, I mean, there are a lot of women who've either lost their moms or have grown up with a mom who's distant or emotionally unavailable or has chosen to leave. And I just, I've been surprised at how many of us have to make sense of our story Mm. in the context of having lost a mother. I think the way you describe her and the beauty of your story and even how you weave the story, you kind of start with having your first child and you go back and you go forward and you go back and you kind of give us little glimpses and paint the picture of your mom. And one thing you're really honest about who she was as a mother and, you know, maybe things that she didn't do perfectly and how you understand those better now. And one thing that you loved about her that from an outsider looking at you, I think you're really good at as well is, how she weave community. Mm-hmm. Um, you like I, I totally was looking at the back of your book at all your, the words you used that were South African that I was like, what is that? And then you added a <laughs> glossary of South African words so I can know. Okay, I don't even know if I'll pronounce it right. A cure? Yeah, it? it's actually pronounced kair. Of course it is. Okay, kair. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's K-U-I-E-R and it means to visit. Okay. And but you- in South Africa, yeah, I mean, the way we use it there, kair implies not just stopping by for five minutes, right? Yeah. It's kind of a visit that's prolonged and involves tea and baked goods and heart sharing and just hanging out with your shoes off on the sofa. It's just this concept of being comfortable in somebody else's space. 
And that is so not America. I like, guess it depends, right? But I well, know I mean, like the general theme, yeah. yeah. Like we yeah. have to have like this perfect time, and I will make my house exactly right, and you will come for that perfect time, yeah. and then when things start getting a little bit hairy, you'll leave. And yes, and uh, I think it's funny you say that because it explains something I have never understood. But um, as a child growing up, we had um, a visiting American pastor at our church, mm-hmm. and he and his wife, and it was one of they lived near where we were. So one of our favorite things was just to drop by, like anytime we were in the area, <laughs> drop by their house. Yeah. And I remember as a child feeling like I could not understand. I overheard the wife one time saying to her husband, why don't they call before they come? Like, <laughs> and I remember thinking that's so why would we like we're here, like we're hanging out. Like, we're aren't come you, to happy? It, you yeah. know, and I just remember and I understand it better now because in, in South African context, it's really common to just swing by and hang out and be together. You know, there's yeah. no real heads up, <laughs> which, yeah, it just sounds really fantastic and so I think it comes out in your who you are as a person like you just come as you are whether that's an actual come to my house as you are or you come to my written space as you are um and and I was just curious as I was reading it I was like did you feel like your mom's modeling and just that culture affected you do you sense that it's so interesting. I guess I've never thought about it until right now and I I would say yes I really do our house was there are people in and out of our house all the time. And, um, well, I remember as a child that my mom was just really great at sort of picking up stragglers, you know, after church or after Bible study or after, you know, women's group or book club. There are just people were just welcome to come to our house. Mm. And we didn't have the perfect house. And there were often silver pillows that were split down the middle and had to be flipped over to the other side. And the paint was chipped. And the people would just come and we'd run out of food and people would stay late. And um, there wasn't an expected end time. Mm. But it just it was an environment where you were welcome, you Mm. know, and it was is such she was just a person that was just so wonderful to be around. She mm. was charismatic and fun and funny and interesting and incredibly well read and well traveled and just just a really fun person to be with. Mm. So she was just very comfortable um, having people in her space. And so maybe, yeah, that's rubbed off and it just seems completely normal to me to be the same. Well, and my husband, I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, and raising up our boys. What are we going to emphasize? Are we going to make them do chores? Are we going to whatever. And it's funny to us, the things we were forced to do, we don't want to do now. And the things that our parents just modeled come the easiest. Isn't that funny? It's so true. So I was forced to wash the dishes. Like we would fight who does the pots and pans, who does the dishes. So I hate doing the dishes, but my husband, his dad and his mom, that was their time to talk. And his dad's a surgeon. And so washing things and cleaning things is like (laughs) fun to him. And so he would stand at the sink and he and his mom would chat and the kids would leave. And it was like a quiet moment. They had to catch up from the day. And so he views it as like a positive thing. And so my husband just does it, which is huge for me. Very helpful. Wow. That is so interesting. Yeah. So we've never made our kids wash the dishes, but they know that we do them. So we're just, you know, anyway, we, you know, there's things that we have them do, but like my husband was forced to cut the grass and now he paid someone to do that because he doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't like being out there and getting hot and sweaty and especially Texas. So I don't know, but it's interesting to me that like, even though your mom has passed, you know, 20 years now that her, her stamp, who she was is so etched in who you are now that you couldn't even decipher, you know, like that, that shaped you as a person, as a mom. 
Yeah, I mean, I talk about that in the book that our DNA is, you know, woven around in our stories as much as in our mothers. Mm. Because I think we, we live their DNA, but we live their stories too. So the things that they love become things that intrinsically, I think, weave themselves into our lives. So books and movies and stories and plays and theater and music are all things that I got from her. I wish she had maybe had also a love for, I don't know, the culinary arts or home decor, but (laughs) either of those have shown up as interests for me. Well, and you know, I found that no mom I know has all of it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so the good thing is you can always get takeout. So that covers it, but you can't take out a heart of hospitality. Like you can't buy that. Like that's something that's (laughs) given that you can't, you know, force. So that's a really good gift. But I think shaping a mom into a mom from a mom, I don't know if that, I just saw a lot of moms, that makes more sense. But I also loved the picture you painted in the book of the way your dad shaped you. Mm -hmm. And in particular, the imagery, um, my favorite was the, when you were headed to the hospital and he prayed over your belly, you know, I just, his prayer. And then I, that was the first time it just struck me and I cried and then almost every time you mentioned your father, you mentioned prayer. So tell me about that. Tell me about his discipline and, and what, yeah, how that dad, impacted you. My dad went on a very unique journey after my mom died. And um, he used to be very legalistic. And yeah. He's a very disciplined person by nature. And I think he took his faith um, all the way to the far end of the spectrum and didn't leave a lot of room for sort of a heart relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. He was very by the book and by the rule. Mm. And then my mom died, and suddenly there was an equation he couldn't balance anymore in terms of the God he thought he understood. And it was really through that devastating experience that he came to have a very deep and personal love for Christ. Mm. And I always tell him, you know, if I didn't believe or on days when my faith is weak, all I have to look at is the changes in his life to to be convinced that Christ is real because I don't know how else it could have happened. Mm. And so he is a man who just, um, when I talk to him, I just, I mean, I know I believe God is real because I hear how my dad talks to him. And um, he loves Jesus and he's a—he's always wanted to be a pastor. So he's actually a medical doctor, but he's always wanted to be a pastor. Mm. And so he studies, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew and he reads and he prays. But it's so funny because God is so interesting. He just keeps giving my dad children. <laughs> so my parents have got all these kids they've adopted. And my dad always tells me, you know, I, I want to be a pastor, but God just keeps giving me kids. And <laughs> I tell him, Dad, that sounds like gospel to me. You yeah, know? that sounds like a little church. Like gospel to Lots me. of so, disciples right there. Yes, I just see him living out, you know, the, I just feel like the gospel lives in the messy chaos of opening our lives up to other people. And that's what hospitality is, right? Like heart and faith hospitality looks that way. And you just, my father has continued to open his door to children and it brings a lot more mess and chaos. And he's 64 now and raising kids the same age as mine. It's like his third family of kids he's raising. Um, And I just keep learning from him what it looks like to let parenthood humble you yeah, because it does, right? It just breaks us and we think we can't offer any more. And then Jesus, just like the parable of the loaves and the fishes, he continues to break and continues to break. And look, there is more to go around of us, you know, just when we thought there wasn't. So I've really watched that in my dad's life and prayer is the anchor for him that holds it all together. So every time I've ever flown across an ocean, he has prayed for me and for the pilot and for the plane and anytime I'm in an airport now um, traveling here, I call him so he can pray for me mm. before I fly because I've just done it for as long as I can remember. That is so sweet and quite a legacy for 
your sons. Um, we haven't mentioned your own kids because in yeah. talking about how he's shown you how kids can break and humble you, um, you've had your own. So uh, why don't you tell everyone what are the names of your kids and how old are they? Sure. I have three of them. And uh, the, the oldest is eight and a half. His name is Jackson. And he's actually named after both me and my mom. His name is Jackson Joe. Hmm. Her name was Joe and I'm Lisa Joe. And actually there are several Joes in our family, like great, great, great grandmothers. So he's named after all these strong women in hmm. his family. <laughs> he, he was the one born in South Africa while we were there. And my second born is Micah, and he was born in Michigan. And he is my fiery, strong-willed, passionate boy that we pray the kingdom will use for good. Yeah. You know, like superheroes, we need to, with yes. great power comes great responsibility. Yes. What we do with all that passion matters. Yes. So his name is Micah, which means like God. And his second name is Peter. He's named after his dad. And then our third is our surprise little girl. Her name is Zoe Grace, and she was born here in Virginia. We live just outside Washington, D.C., and she's three. And Zoe means a life, so her name means life and grace. And I discovered I was pregnant with her 18 years to the day my mom died. Wow. Wow. And I believe that in that day when I was so sad and just feeling like, wow, this is it. You know, this is a mile marker in my life. I have lived 18 years with a mom and 18 years without a mom. And now every year after, I will have lived more years without her yeah. than with her. And it just was such a heavy day. I couldn't, it was just very hard to process. And it was that day, it was on my birthday, um, on my 38th birthday that I discovered I was pregnant and I felt like, I mean, not felt, I knew, I knew so clearly that the Holy Spirit was speaking life into me. He mm. was saying, it's not death, it's life. I speak life into you. I, mm. I, I wish life for you. We don't have a legacy of death. We have a legacy of life. Yes. And so that's what her name means. Zoe means life. And, you know, we'll jump ahead to that because I think, you know, we talked about how your mom shaped you in the community and your dad with his, his transformation and his prayer. And Zoe plays a special role mm -hmm. in the healing and the life that she brought to you with your mother. And um, I just, I think those, ch that chapter is, we, you and I had spoken uh, maybe last year about how you were going to write this book a while back and then you just didn't feel like it was right. And, and how... Um, once Zoe was born, it all, the whole book came together. And y'all, when you read Surprise by Motherhood, you will see when you get to those chapters on um, all the places that healed in, in Lisa Joe. Um, with Zoe's birth, you will just be like, you'll, you'll need the Kleenex. That'll definitely be the Kleenex <laughs> time. And, you know, like, as I'm going to have the four boys, and, yes, I bemoaned the fact of not having the girl, but I felt like you're, you know, there was no, like, oh, that Lisa Joe, she got a girl and I didn't get one. Like, I felt absolutely no jealousy. It was total joy and excitement and seeing God totally do things. beyond, Like, the details of God, I mean, the day, how does he – it's just incredible that he knew and – it's well, awesome. I, tell me, tell us more about that. I mean, do you have anything more to say about that? I think everything yes. you said is awesome. Many things. <laughs> you know, Jackson, my firstborn, he's the one that makes you a mother, right? Yeah. Your first one. It's the experience of breaking up with yourself for somebody else. Yeah. It's very painful because there are all these things about your life you used to love that you have to give up. And it's very daunting and very hard. 
and I think very disorienting because you're so you don't even realize how selfish you are until you totally. become a mother for the first time. And I think motherhood is the great parable that God gives us to show what sacrificial love looks like. We get to live the metaphor of sacrifice ourselves yeah. by giving up, you know, naps and dates and bathroom time alone and hot food and you know, we give all of that up for someone else. So the first one breaks you and makes you a mother, and that was my Jackson, and he really was the bridge between the States and South Africa for us and just knit our family together so tightly. Um, Zoe, by the time I was pregnant with her, you know, by the third time, you are much more accustomed to the exhaustion and the sleep deprivation, and you know it only it doesn't last for so long, and you are much more versed in the beauty and the miracle of it. So by my third one, I was really excited, but I tell you in all honesty, Heather, like I was horrified to discover it was a girl. Mm, I really, really expected it to be a boy because we have two boys. So the odds are pretty good that it would be a boy. Oh yeah. People will tell you how many people did I have? Tell me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I I'm familiar with boys. I have two brothers. I'm really close with my dad. My mom had died. I felt like my mom had not been there during all those awkward teenage girl years when you're supposed to learn how to blow dry your hair and choose the right makeup and wear the right clothes. Like I just missed that. Like I always felt awkward and uncomfortable in my skin that I didn't know how to be beautiful. And I had just absolutely no clue how to parent a daughter And I felt like I was kind of this broken down daughter anyway, and that God had just got it wrong to give me a girl. Like I was horrified. I, I was, you know, when people used to say to me, Oh, is your third one? Are you doing that to try and get a girl? I would just be very rude and say, no, I'm hoping it's a boy. Like I love my boys. I want to have a tribe of boys. You know, you have the four boys. That's what we always wanted. We always talked about that. Like we'd like to have four boys. And so the daughter factor, I mean, I needed the whole nine months to be ready because I just felt so traumatized at the thought of mothering a girl that I was just not equipped. But of course, of course, you know, God, he makes all things new. And he knew I needed to mother a daughter because in mothering Zoe, I have really come face to face with how much my mom loved me. Like Mm. there are all these memories you don't have (laughs) when your mom dies. And I never got to know her as an adult. You know, we didn't get to talk about what it's like to be a mom. She didn't get to talk to me about sex or marriage or love or passion or any of those things. Mm. And, um, my memories are very one-sided. They're a child's memories and they're colored by cancer. It's, you know, a lot of my memories feel like they start when she got sick. It's very hard for me to push beyond that to remember my childhood with her because that black line down my life is sort of where I feel like all my biggest emotions started. So it's hard to try to remember what it was like before that. Mm. All that to say that through Zoe, I realized for the first time that in her first year alone, I had captured more memories and more love for her and off her than she would have even by the time she was 18 of me Mm. that it was such a powerful experience as a mother because she imprints on me and I remember everything every detail her eyelashes and how she breathes at night and how she muttered her first word and what it looked like when she walked toward me and the dimple in her cheek and how she brushes her teeth I mean so many thousands and thousands of memories of her I have captured and 18 years is too short for a daughter to remember her mother that way because she hasn't even figured out how to understand herself, let mm. alone somebody else. Mm. And so through the, through the beautiful, amazing kaleidoscope of Zoe, I was able to say, 
oh my goodness, this is how my mom loved me. So the, the memory loss was one-sided. It was only me who didn't have memories of her, but she always knew and remembered all of this about me. Yeah. And it was the deepest, most profound kind of healing to know this is how my mother loved me. This is how she knew me and saw me. So even if she didn't parent the best ways or always say the right thing or get it right, um, by her actions and words, I know that she carried a lifetime of love for me, you know, starting at my very first year. And um, it has been the most beautiful experience each year with Zoe to rediscover new ways that my mom loved me. So, I mean, God, he knows and he knits together and he makes new over and over. And when he spoke life that day, I discovered I was pregnant with Zoe. I mean, he meant it in ways I couldn't possibly even have fathomed at the beginning. Well, and let's go to the beginning of the fact that, you know, he used your baby, your daughter to heal you, but that before even Jackson, the idea of even wanting children was so far from your mind. You, you yeah. were, you were vocal with Peter saying, you know what, you, if you love me, if you really, really love me, you're going to be okay with the fact that we're never having children and how God worked in your heart to slowly change that so that slowly he could bring you to a place to bring you healing through Zoe. It's such a great picture to me of how we think we know, and yet we have no clue, like yes. of how he's going to change us. Again, it's the shaping. So your mom shaped you, your dad shaped you, Zoe shaped you. And mm -hmm. what I love about how you came to wanting children, it was strangers, it was new friends, it was... <laughs> You said that you called the chapter the big black man. Is that what the name of the chapter is? Yeah, the great big man named Chuck. The big, yeah. <laughs> great big man. Okay, sorry that I said that. Yes. The, you, you, his words that he felt he heard from God were some of the first little seeds planted. And what did he say to you? I mean, that's a whole story. You kind of yeah, set it up well, beautifully. I, I'm just jumping into it. but It's okay. I'll back up a little bit just to say this. Yes, it's ironic that the woman who writes so much about motherhood now <laughs> you know, swore she'd never be a mother. But, you know, when I was 18, I lost my mom and I, and what I think of as the joy of my womanhood in the same year. Mm. So this church that we just loved so much, they were our community and our people, but they, I kind of describe it as they got a little bit lost and um, they started to focus on a lot of the rules of what you're supposed to be when you're growing up as a woman. And they mm. were convinced that unless you were a mom, you basically weren't accomplishing kingdom work. Wow. And I was 18 and you know my mom was dying and I just felt sure God was calling me into you know a legal career. I was growing up in South Africa of apartheid years where we needed justice and we needed advocates and I felt like God had called me to that and I couldn't reconcile that with just you know just having kids. So, you know, and I was 18, 18, yeah. you just stupid. Yeah. When you were grieving, <laughs> I mean, let's not forget like you were grieving. Sad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just was like, no, I'm, that's not what I'm going to do. And um, so I think it's really important to tell any mom, you know, any women listening to this podcast that, and I have it right there in the de dedication page of my book that, you know, I truly believe Jesus would have loved me the same whether I ever had children or not. I am mm. convinced of it. And it's such an important element of the story because if we think his love is conditional, then we're always trying to earn it. And really, his love is a gift and everything else is grace, including children. And so it took me a long time to figure that out. You know, this God bless Peter, this precious Midwestern boy with his cowboy green eyes who just heard all these broken bits and pieces of my story and loved me anyway. And we would go out to Pizza Hut and on Sundays we'd go to church and we were going to a small church just outside of Boston on the North Shore. And we'd been only been dating a few years. And um, you know, he knew all my baggage about 
children and losing my mom and my sense of what I wanted to be apart from motherhood. And we're sitting there in church one Sunday and there is this huge black man. He was a black man. Chuck was this massive, I mean, just huge man in front of me with his wife and kids. And um, after the service, he turns around and looks at me and he introduces himself. I'd never met him before. He says, hi, my name is Chuck. Um, and I think I have a message for you from God, mm. which I'm sorry, is a horrifying thing to have somebody <laughs> tell you. Okay. Like you just want to be like, oh yes, please sure what I am. You know, please share what I'm sure will be a debilitatingly awkward encounter, you know, sure. Well, especially with your love. history of the church. I yes, mean, yes. And you're yeah. like, you know, you, you're like a college student, you know, as a, what was I, a sophomore, a junior, and yeah. you're awkward in your own skin anyway. And so I'm standing there with my new boyfriend and this man. And so I'm like, sure, you know, go ahead. And he then proceeds to ask us if we're engaged. And so Another awkward, yes, yes. yes. And we're like, no, we're not. And um, he's like, I'm really sorry to ask you this, but are you planning to get married? Oh, my word. So I'm like looking at the ground. I can't even make eye contact with Peter. And I believe Peter like nods his head like, yes, we are. And then he makes it even worse. And he looks at me and he goes, I am so sorry to ask you this, but are you planning to have children if you get married? Mm. And at this point, I basically want to like yell at him. No, I'd rather eat glass than have children. Like, who are you? Get out of my face. Like, this is so terrible. But I'm very polite. I stand there and I just shake my head. No, no, I'm not. And at that point, Chuck looks relieved. Mm. And he says, he looks right at me and says, Jesus wants you to know it doesn't matter to him whether you ever have children or not. He Mm. just wants you to know he loves you and he wants you to love him back. Mm. And it was so shocking. It was absolutely the last thing I expected to hear. And it was one of those moments where you can have faith your whole life and forget that Jesus sees you. Mm. And you have a moment like that and you become so aware that he sees you and knows you. And you just, you feel like a spotlight is shining on you. Mm. And I just started to cry. And he said to me, am I right in believing that you grew up in a church that said you had to be a mom to be loved? By Christ, And I said, yes. And he said, Jesus wants you to know that's not true. He loves you whether you ever have children or not. Mm. And it was, I mean, yeah. I guess that is explains a little bit to the degree to which I was so messed up about all of this, that Christ had to actually speak directly <laughs> to me to Through a prophet, liberate yeah. me from my baggage. But I, if I can pass that on to other women to let them know Sweet. how much he loves you, like that is how much he loves us. He pursues us, you know, and then Chuck turned to Pete, who to his credit ended up still marrying me despite <laughs> all the crazy that came with me and just said to Pete and God wants you to know you have to marry her because you love her and not because of the children she can give you. Wow. And Pete said, yes, he knew he'd known for a while. <laughs> I'll tell you, you don't, and, um, I mean, Peter is awesome in this book. Like he is, I think there's glimpses of him. It's not like all about Peter, but I think every time you mention him, I'm like, I like him a lot. You know, you know, he still hasn't read it. Are you kidding? That's hilarious. No, he hasn't. Awesome. He, he's nervous about it because people keep coming up to him and telling him things like that. And then he doesn't know. Like, Yeah. If he can just say, well, I haven't read it, then he can like get himself out of it. Yeah. I'm like, you have. Yeah. So he will. I've, I've read parts of it to him, but he hasn't read the whole thing. So it's funny. I think he's a little nervous, but I'm like, honey, you come off really good in the book. No, he's <laughs> really great. Good. No, he's so, I just, I love the, you know, you're really good at writing imagery and I can picture him putting his fingers through his hair when you were talking, you and you're about to give him the news about Zoe. And I yeah. just, I just, I really liked him. And you know, that message you're just talking about to go back to that. Like, I think it's important for everyone listening, whether that's your story, whether you want kids or not, 
I think of the moms with infertility. I think of the moms who've lost children. You don't know anybody's story. And to make, when we make these things, when we set hard lines in the sand, you know, like when Jesus said, you know, Jesus drew the line, said anyone without sin, cross it. Like, I think we do these like lines of like, Mm -hmm. if I breastfeed, then I'm a good mom. If I, you know, or if I have kids, then I'm a good Christian. I think that like, if you see a couple and saying, oh, when are you going to have kids? Don't even ask that question. Like that isn't even a helpful thing to say this is the ultimate goal. Yeah, because motherhood, I mean, we just grade ourselves and we're so hard on ourselves and we give ourselves Fs all the time, you know, for what we think we should be doing. And I know what I've come to learn myself is that, I mean, everything that we have is a gift and never an obligation, right? It gives us gift of marriage and the gift of children and it's a grace gift from him and if there's one thing that motherhood and pregnancy teaches you is that we do not have control like control is an illusion we don't have control over our own bodies and what happens inside of them and whether or not we can carry children to term yeah those are not in our hands like those are the things that happen in the divine realm that we have no say over at all well that leads into a really good conversation about how we don't even get to control what kind of kids we have. And then once they come, we don't get to control how they behave and how another one of your people in your lives that shaped you was Micah, (laughs) your middle. And I have two middles like this. So Mm -hmm. I get the shaping, the shaping of a child who puts their heels in the ground, will not move. I don't want to. And then the anger and the result. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, about Micah and how he's shaped you. Yeah, my precious son, you know, this is the chapter called How to Fall in Like. Mm -hmm. Because I think we love our kids, but there are days we don't like them. And I just think we don't, if if we don't admit that, we're just not being honest because (laughs) kids can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, Micah, it's interesting, Heather, this chapter wasn't in the book, the first draft. You know, I have an insider who told me that. somebody tell you that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh, this had to be in the book. This is huge. This this needs its own book. I mean, this is, this is, yeah. yeah. There was, you know, there are a few of those stories we're in, but um, yeah, my editor said to me, they came back, the team from Tyndale, who I just love and said, we really feel like you need to write more about Micah. And I was like, what? Really? (laughs) And they said they thought he was the most interesting character and the child most moms would relate to parenting. Yeah. And they wanted me to write about him. And so this is actually the chapter Peter has read because I wanted to be sure I honored Micah in the telling of it. But that I was also truthful so that other moms could relate. And Peter was like, I think you need to say more. You haven't said enough about what it's like parenting him. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just say this. Micah is a very intense personality. He, um, when I was trying to understand him, we traced a lot of our our genetic family history. And so this is a helpful descriptor of him. We are actually descended. There are some Vikings in our. Wow. He looks like a Viking. He does. Right. And he behaves like one too. So it's very like impulsive, like, yeah, he's strong and fair skinned and blue eyed and blonde hair. And he is all Dutch ancestor genes and Viking genes. He's 
he has um, incredible passion. He's just like on fire all the time and trying to channel that has been very difficult. And of course it's much harder when they're young and they don't know how to communicate why they're struggling. So Micah had a lot of massive raging temper tantrums that would would last and last. And he just felt out of control to me all the time. And no Mm. matter what I did, he was out of control, but Mm. I could tell he was afraid of how he felt out of control, you know? And so sort of, figuring out how to discipline him in a way that was what the real biblical understanding of the word discipline, which is to shape or to train up, you know, not to beat it out of him, but to figure out how to grow him in a way that would help use this passion for good, for the kingdom, you know, to be a warrior for God and not against. Um, That was what was very difficult to figure out. And I was really beside myself at one point. His teachers, you know, he was in preschool and his teacher was pretty beside herself. And it is a hard thing as a mom because you feel like every bad report, every bad story, every bad, you know, every time your kid doesn't get to go to the treasure chest because he was on red again this week. You carry all of that. It's so horrifying. He's the kid at Easter that you're stressing out all the time. You don't know who he's going to, you know, jump on, whale on, or what he's going to do. And you just break into sweats anytime family's over because you don't know what he's going to say. I I had such a great conversation with my mother-in-law. I talked to her about it. And God has really placed amazing women in my life who have mothered me over the years. And, And Debbie said... Kids are born from the spirit as much as from DNA. Mm. And so let's look and understand him in the spiritual realm. What is it that we need to pray for him there? Where do we need to enter into? What do we need to fight for him? How do we understand him? So I felt, so what she and I started to do, she committed to pray with me. We prayed and fasted every Tuesday for months for Micah. Mm. And it was such a relief to feel like I wasn't just reading his story, you know, in panic about what would come next. But I felt like we started to actually write his story for him. Mm. And I started to study him and to really, instead of being embarrassed about him or wanting to quiet him or shut him down, I became like a student of Micah to understand him. What was going to understand him? But that really, really meant understanding myself because as moms, it's really easy to just say, I have this difficult kid and he's so unbearable. But where did he come from? From you, you, know? <laughs> from you and your husband, Surprise. your yeah. partner. And so I spent a lot of time discovering the best way to see our kids is not with a magnifying glass, but with a mirror, you know, mm-hmm. what do I see in myself that I'm now seeing in Micah? And I, it was very humbling. Like I discovered I have a really bad temper. I struggle with it. I have for years. My dad has a terrible temper. All of these generations of ancestors that have had bad temper. That was a spiritual thing that had been passed down to Micah. And I really, I felt like I knew how to protect him then, that I could stand as a mom with the sword of the you know, sword of truth in my hand and say, I cut this off. Like I speak against this. Mm. And I started to pray for him every night when he was sleeping. I, My friend Colleen describes it as making your child's bed your prayer bench, that I would kneel next to his bed and lay hands on him and pray over him. Mm. And in the beginning, I felt really awkward about it. Like he would sometimes wake up and I'd be there. And so then I'd feel, <laughs> he's like, mom, what you doing? And then I'd, I'd feel like really uncomfortable. So I would start to tell him, like, I'm just checking on you. But then I said to him, I started to just tell him the truth. I would say, Micah, I am praying that you will be a warrior for God's kingdom. And he'd be like, oh, okay. And like roll over, you know. But in in taking an active role in writing Micah's story, 
I became, I, it was like discovering um, how to fall in like with him. And I felt him moving in my heart, you know, just those first flutters, the same way we feel our kids moving in our bellies for the first time. It's how it felt to me when I well, spent the time to know him. And I've heard that, like, you know, if you're, you're struggling with your spouse, you know, start praying for them, which seems opposite of what we think, you know, if you're, that, that it ties us to them, that prayer, you know, opens a place in us and in our hearts you know, love your enemy. Not, not that our children are enemies, not that our spouses are enemies, but like God kind of knew that one way to just to show that love is through prayer and mm-hmm. to bringing them to Him in ways mm-hmm. like your mother-in-law said that that it's a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. Like these battles are maybe aren't ours to fight on the outside with the behaviors, but like they go deep, and that the best battle can be fought, you know, on our knees. So I think, yeah, and I want to say so to moms cool. that are. They're struggling with it. And I, yes, I think it's a combination because of course we then take all the practical steps too, you know, because yeah. I know what it's like to be the mom who feels overwhelmed and then someone's like, well, just pray for your kid. And right, right, I don't right, want right. them to think I'm saying that. Because, no, but it changed um, your heart towards him. Like, yeah. And I do both. And we, you know, Micah has had, you know, it's not like he's over it. Like he's now six and still just as intense, but he and I have a vocab now for understanding where he's at, and we—he has some sensory processing I issues. Gonna, I was going to ask you if he—I'm a speech pathologist does, too, yeah. so I wondered if like that was part of the. Yep, we discovered yeah. that, and you know, it took us years to figure that part out. And he's had a great occupational therapist that he's seen, and we've discovered that wrestling is just really outstanding for boys who have, you know, who are sensory seeking because you basically have another kid pound on you for an yeah. hour and a half. He's yeah. like on high when he comes out. He's so happy. Yes. So, I mean, it's the, it's the combination of those things, but prayer and discovering that there's a spiritual bloodline that I can trace and pay attention to. And that there are things in myself that need to change because what I've learned about Micah is he is a direct emotional connect to me. Mm. So when I'm not doing well, he's not doing well. Mm. I'm angry. He's angry. And when he's very angry, I need to be very calm or else he can't come out of it. Yeah. So it has been a real learning about what it takes for me. And I'll just tell you, moms, like I've had bad moments with Micah, like really bad ones. Like I've had days where I was traveling, you know, in between events to go and speak at a mom's event. Mm. And he looked me in the eyes and told me, you know what I wish, mom? I wish when I was born, they gave me to a different family. Oh, wow. <laughs> And yeah. it's really hard in that moment not to say, you know, that can be arranged. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you, like, God is so gracious to us because Mike is the kid who has stretched me and grown me into a mother more than any of my other children. He has taught me what self-sacrifice looks like and how desperately selfish I am and how much I need Jesus. And he and I have had standoff moments in the hallway. I remember it vividly. I was so angry with him and he was so rude and saying such awful things to me. And I grabbed him by the shoulders and got down to his eye level. You know that thing where you like dig your fingers in and you're yes. like, look me in the eyes. This is for like, real. We are going to confront each other yes, now. This you know, is it. This is going down. And I, you know, I think it's easy to read parenting books and blogs and think it's pretty, but it just isn't. Like no. this chapter was born out of those moments where I, I stood there in the hall and I looked at him. And what I wanted to tell him, I started telling him because he was my hardest delivery. I share in the book about it. And I looked him in the eyes and I started telling him, I was like, Micah, 
and you need to know about him that he is very visual. He's very interested in his own story. He knows how he was born. He knows where he was born in Michigan. So this is familiar to him. It wasn't like I was shocking him for the first time. So context matters. But I held onto his shoulders and I said, Micah, you more than any of my other kids, you, I was cut and I bled to give birth to you. Like I, you hurt me. You know, it it hurt to have you. And where I was going with this conversation was to tell him it wasn't worth it. Like I was so right. You were ready to say it. Yeah. I wanted to tell him like, and I wish I wasn't, you know, you're so awful. You keep hurting me. Like that's what was happening in my head. But here's where I think the habit of prayer matters because what happened in that moment is I really feel like the Holy Spirit intervened and put a shield over what I was going to say. And I was shocked to discover what came out of my mouth were the words And I would do it again and again and again because I have to have a Micah. I have to have a Micah in my life. And he just started weeping. Like he just stood there weeping and weeping. And I just held him and we cried together. And I just told him, no matter how bad you are to me, no matter what you say, I love you and I have to have a Micah. Well, and and I read your post on that. And that was huge for me because it gave me words with one of my sons in one of our interactions. And when I said, I need you, like I have to have you, his whole manner changed. And um, I don't know if you've heard of Amy McCready, but it kind of brought me back to when she says every kid needs to feel belong, have a sense of belonging and significance. Yeah. So knowing that they're needed because we do have four boys and you have other kids and that middle child, they kind of get lost in the sea of, do they need me? Um, and you know they have an older brother doing new things all the time, and yeah. um, then the younger brother is doing cute things all the time. It's like, where am I in this picture? And to say that I need you is such a powerful, so powerful. I, I mean, so, I, I think I if mean, someone told me that, that'd be like, oh, yeah. okay, I'll do anything for you. You need me. <laughs> and it's the heart of what Christ says to us: yeah. I need you. Like I love you. You know, like. And it's the hard cry we get to say to our kids as they push and push against us, you know, as hard as the day we delivered them into the world, like they keep pushing against us, it yeah. feels like. Yeah. So, well, yeah, this um, writing the book, I, I think I told you this earlier, it felt like free therapy to me because I there's a lot in motherhood you don't get time to process as you're living it. Well, and hey. writing the book was like trying to figure out what had been happening along the journey. Well, I thank you so much for being vulnerable and writing the book and even sharing today. And so we can all take a step back. Cause I really think if y'all are looking to buy this book or I think it'd be a great gift for mother's day, just um, because it's a celebration of almost every aspect of life. I mean, not just like if you are a mom of young kids, I think it's redeeming for any mom in any season or even, you know, I don't know your friends who are thinking about it and looking at themselves as a daughter. I just think it's a really great book. And I think that it also helps us, like I've been saying, who in your life is shaping you and how is God using different people to craft you into the Christ likeness that he plans for you. And, um, I just thank you, Lisa Joe, for sharing all those people that have shaped you into the wonderful mother that you are today. Well, the mother who's still learning. I don't know <laughs> the in-process mother. But yeah, I would say this book is not a how-to book. No, I just want to no, clarify no. that. It's just a it really is a me too story. You know, this is what happened to me um, and that we're in it together. It really is. So it's not going to, there are no one, two, three step lessons here. It's much more sharing the mess and the chaos of it and how God finds us still in the middle. 
It's, it's so good. It is so good. So thank you, Lisa Joe, for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Love talking oh, to you. so fun to hang out with you, Heather. Four boys. You're living, you're living the dream, friend. Well, for some, for some <laughs> Americans, um, tend to want one boy and one girl. Like yeah. that's the American dream. And so yeah. it's hard for them to conceptualize. Why would you want all kids of all one gender? And why would you want four kids? That's ridiculous. I have had <laughs> friends tell me I'm crazy to my face. Well, I do think you have to be a little crazy to be a mom. <laughs> There has to be a little nuts in there. Yeah, 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 it is a bit nuts. Good chatting with you, though. All right. Thanks, Lisa Joe. Bye. Thanks for listening to the God-Centered Mom podcast. I hope you enjoyed our guests as much as I did. And if you're looking for resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. I want you to know that God is just as present at your kitchen sink as your church pew, that he sees your service and he is pleased. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you, and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.